Uh, man, guys, it is amazing to be here today, amazing that this weekend, uh, the world over, there are millions and millions of Jesus followers all over the globe gathering together to celebrate an empty tomb, something different, life eternal, life everlasting. Uh, it's exciting to be here with everybody. The stone was rolled away. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen from the dead. Uh, man, I, I can't think of a, a more exciting day to be able to join with you. I, I, I do want to uh, just say a, a special thank you on behalf of my wife, myself. Um, it, it's impossible to express how humbled we are uh, to, to be able to, to be a part of your lives, to be able to, to be up here, to do what we do, to do what we love, but, but in doing what we love, to have people come together with us and, and join in on this relationship. It, it's, uh, it's powerful. We love it. We're humbled. We thank you. We love you. We're excited to be able to serve you. Um, we're really blessed and, and just excited to be able to celebrate Easter today. Uh, today, with, with what I want to talk about, what I want to speak on, I, I, I'd like to start with preface with a, a question. Uh, across the room, I'd love for everybody, no matter what your background is, no matter whether you, were, uh, you love Easter, you, you're, you're in church every Sunday, or whether you're here because mom said that if you don't come, you don't get to celebrate Easter buffet. Whatever the issue is, whatever the reason is, I, I, for everybody, I'd love to ask you just one thing, and I want you today to, to consider Jesus. Um, and, and, and when I say that, I pray you hear more my heart and what I'm going to speak on today than necessarily what you've felt, heard, or even experienced in the past. I want you to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider our church. I'm not asking anybody to join our church. I'm not even asking you to consider a denomination. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider Christians. I mean, we, I think... I think we can all honestly say that, that there are some Christians that are, are pretty screwy. Look, don't, don't nudge your neighbor right now. Don't point them out. Um, and, and look, I'm not even asking you to consider me. Because I know myself, tragically, my, my life, I know I'm not perfect. I, I know that there's going to be times that, that I'm going to slip and I'm going to fall. But, but I've found something that has radically changed my life. And I pray today that you consider Jesus, what he claims, what he actually did, what we, can, what we can see through history, what we read through scripture. Just look at him and I pray that you see what happens. Uh, a lot of times what happens in, in, uh, in life, I, I go through and I'll ask somebody, hey man, how, how's it going? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? And, and most people's answer is usually something to, to the extent of, man, I'm better than I deserve. Hey, how you doing? That better than I deserve. And, and I know what they mean, but today that's exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what it is that we deserve. Um, hold on just a second as I, I get this going here. Here we go. Deserve. The mentality in our society, and this is usually the case, is, is we've grown up with this, this idea, this mentality that, that you're only going to get something that you've deserved, that you've worked for. You're going to get what's coming in life. That's the idea that we all grow up with. Depending on how you live your life, you're going to get what's coming to you. And, in, in, and this is also the mentality that the church, that even Christians have, have portrayed. That you're going to get what you deserve. That you're going to get the life that, that you've been dealt because of situations that you've lived. But 
I think with that, there's a lot of people even here today who with that believe that, that God could never forgive them for what they've done in the past. Their mentality coming into Easter really is something no more than, well, it, 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 I have to go, I have to check the box, mama will be happy, we'll make things good. But because of who I was, because of where I've come from, I, it, it's just that, it's a, it's a box to check. I'd ask you again to consider Jesus. The reason I say that is because as I look through Scripture, time and time again, as I, as I look over Scripture, there's story and story of just the exact opposite. It's not about what you deserve. In fact, Scripture is full of stories, people who deserved one thing, but, but due to nothing more than the love and grace of Jesus, were given a greater gift than they could ever imagine. There's uh, the emotional story of, of, of a woman caught in adultery. Who according to the law, according to that day and age, caught in adultery was, was, was going to be stoned, was going to be ridiculed by the town, was going to be uh, red, red, red listed, blacklisted, kicked to the side. But instead, when she deserved condemnation, Jesus extended her mercy. I look at the story of Zacchaeus, and if you grew up in church, you know who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. But... In that day and age, Zacchaeus was also uh, known as, as a sinner, somebody who betrayed his own people, somebody who, who, who went out like, and purposefully tried to cheat his own. And, and I see the story, and, and he deserved rejection, but Jesus, that's not what he gave him. He accepted him, and not just accepted him like, okay, you know, I'm going to like you, but I don't have to love you. But Jesus said, man, hey, I want to hang out with you. I want to go to your house. I want to eat with you. I see the story of Peter, and in Peter's life, I, I see somebody who rejected Jesus time and time again, who continued to fail, who continued to fail, even though he, he, he lived and walked with Jesus, continued to fail in his walk, and, and even to the point of, uh, of at that very moment when Jesus was dying on the cross, when, that, when you should rise up and, and stand for him, Peter denied him three times, said, no, I don't know him. One time even to nothing more than just a little girl because he was scared, he was afraid. He denies Jesus. And you would think that he deserved to be counted out. But instead of being counted out, Jesus continued to extend another chance. Saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Today, what I want to do is I want to look at the story of two particular individuals who, as we read through Scripture, as we read their story, we know that they were deserving of death. They deserve death. But today, as you, as you consider Jesus, I believe that we can all see our lives played out in the story of these two. Both deserve death, but because of the grace of Jesus, one, one didn't get what he deserved, but instead, Jesus gave him life. We're going to be reading today... Out of, uh, out of a passage in Luke. But before we get to Luke, what I want to do is I, I want to I lay a, a foundational understanding, some, some groundwork. Uh, because I, I think this is the basis for all of us we need to hear. And this first thought that I think we need to hear is we need to understand that we're all guilty of breaking God's law. Everybody across the room, not just you, myself included, everybody in this room is, is guilty of breaking God's law. How many of you here would, uh, would be honest enough this morning to raise your hand if I say, how many have ever stolen something? Uh, you're a bunch of thieves. 
How many of you would be honest and admit that you just lied about stealing something and you, you didn't raise your hand when you should have? Yeah, all right. Bunch of thieves and liars in church today. You need this story. It's what it is. Um, I think every single one of us has at some point in time done something in our life that we would say is, is, is a sin against God's law. Some of you here today would say, oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm not as bad as. I, I'm not as, I haven't done, well, you know, that guy right there. <laughs> I haven't done that much. But there's a scripture that I want to read to you real quickly. In, in James chapter 2, verse 10, regardless of how good you were, you think you are, or how, goodless, uh, uh, how, how much you know you weren't that bad. Listen to this. James 2.10 says, for the person who keeps all of the laws, every single law, you keep them all except for just one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. In other words, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles, just stumbles at one point, one little point is guilty of, of breaking all of it. No different than the one who did just that, broke it all. So, if you've ever stolen just one time, if you've ever lied one time, cheated one time, if, you, if you've ever done anything, even just one time, you're as guilty in the eyes of God as someone who broke all the laws. So as I say, every single one in here today, myself included, we are all guilty of breaking God's laws. And so the punishment, is, as I continue to read, as I look at Scripture and I, I say, okay, I, I read that, I understand that, everybody here, we're all guilty, there's an understanding, what, what then, what of it, what about it? And I read the scripture then in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says this. It starts off, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So because I know that I've committed even just one sin, there were more. But even if there was just one, even if there was just one stumble, the wages of sin is death. So in other words, because we've all sinned against God, we all actually deserve death. That's, that's what my life deserved. My life deserved death. But the good news is because of the grace of God, he doesn't give us what we deserve. I want to pick up the Easter story in Luke chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus is, is already uh, on the cross. He's being led up to the cross to be, to be crucified. And we pick up in verse 32, it says this, two other men, both criminals... Other versions will say thieves, but, but both criminals were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. I, I want to real quickly explain uh, crucifixion for a moment. The, the, Romans, the Romans, as I said last week in a series that we've been doing in, in, our, in our church, in our building, as we gather together on Sundays, I've been talking about change agents and what God believes about each and every one of us, but, but I talked last week about Romans priding themselves on the study of the human anatomy. Not just the study of the human anatomy, but, but also the, they prided themselves on being able to inflict torture to the, to the most excruciating degree. They had many ways to execute a person. In, in this day and age, in the life of Jesus, they had many ways to execute a person, but, but crucifixion was the most expensive of them all. In fact, crucifixion took four Roman guards and it also took a centurion. So just by staffing this execution, there was so much more manpower that had to be involved. The expense was so much greater than any other execution possible. 
The crucifixion would generally last several days. And despite the cost, the, the Romans would crucify someone because in their mind it, it happened, it was, it was the most painful, the most excruciating pain, but also it was the most publicly humiliating way to make a, a point in somebody's life, to make a point in society, to teach people a lesson. Therefore, the Romans reserved what people deserved, an execution by crucifixion, for those that they really wanted to hurt or those that they really needed to make a public statement about. This tells us a lot about the two who Jesus was hanging next to. Scripture doesn't go into detail. History doesn't tell us exactly what it was that they did. But, but we know that it was bad enough that the Romans were willing to spend the extra money to bring extra pain, to bring extra humiliation, to, to truly make a point in society against what these guys had done. This wasn't a first-time offense this wasn't, uh, I'm, st I'm taking a loaf of bread to be able to feed my family. This was something so severe that they had to make a public statement, a public point. The reason crucifixion was so painful, so humiliating, uh, what they would do after, after the process of even before getting on the cross, they, they, they would sit there and they'd whip them, and the whip specifically designed, the times that they hit a person, specifically designed to, to rip flesh from body to expose muscle, to leave organs exposed, to, to leave you where you couldn't even bear your own weight and hold on. But what they would do is, humiliating you, is, is they would strip them naked and hang them from the cross to hang naked in front of the public for days. The sun would then beat down on them, literally baking them in the sun day in, day out. They would end up going mad just from the sun. Forget the fact that they, they, had been, been, they had been whipped. Forget the fact that they were now hanging from the cross. You've, you've probably seen the pictures. If you've ever heard of Easter, you've seen the cross of the, the nails through the feet, the nails through the arms. One of the things that, again, the Romans, having studied the, the physical anatomy, uh, a lot of pictures depict the nail going through the hand, but in actuality, it went right here through, through the wrists. And in doing so, because they had studied the human anatomy, they knew that there was a, a tendon, a tendon that ran through the arm up here and, and actually runs right across the wrist. And when they thrust that nail through the wrists in order to nail the, the individual to the cross, it, it would render that tendon almost useless. So now you don't have any upper body strength. When, when you try and you can't lift up, you can't use your upper body to raise yourself. Again, the idea of the cross was was hung in such a way that when you hung there, you were suffocating on top of baking in the sun, on top of exposed naked to the world, on top of everything else that was going on. And laying there, hanging there in such excruciating pain, because you couldn't use your upper body to lift yourself, because those tendons ha had been severed, what you'd have to do is as you're suffocating, as you're, as you're falling down, you'd have to push up against the nails driven through your ankles, driven through your feet. Push up against the nails, and, and your body, as it's suffocating, fights against the suffocation. And so you would thrust your back trying to catch another breath of air. Not being able to pull yourself up, you'd have to push up against the nails on your feet. They'd be so exhausted, like I said, they'd start to suffocate. And I don't think we even grasp just, just the... What all was going on, if you think about it, if you've ever seen a roadkill, um, what happens immediately when, when something starts to die? Birds start to circulate. 
right? The birds start to circle. It, it was literally known that in this whole process, as somebody lay excruciatingly dying on the cross, suffocating and, and struggling just to grasp a breath of air, that, that, that the birds would start to circle, would start to land and start to pick at their flesh. The Romans reserved this for the worst of the worst. We don't know what the criminals did, but it was bad enough to spend the extra money to humiliate them, to make a public point. I want to continue this story. We pick up in verse 39. And in verse 39, it says this. One of the criminals who hung there beside Jesus hurled insults at him. We know that at least, Scripture tells us, he at least said this. Aren't, aren't you the Messiah? Come on. Hail to the king. Come on, Messiah. Why don't you save us all? Save yourself and us. The other criminal rebuked the one and said, hey, since we're under the same sentence, don't you fear God? We're punished justly for we're, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, but Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. What I'd like you to do today, again, simply, humbly, consider Jesus and I would suggest to you that as you consider Jesus, that, that you look at these two individuals, and I would suggest that, that every one of us here, every single one of us, are one of these two thieves. If we look at it from a, a spiritual perspective, uh, we are actually, in the eyes of God, one of these two thieves. What I want to do today is look again at what they said in these moments and then, and then summarize, if I can, to help you determine if you're more like thief number one or if you're like thief number two. Looking back at the first one, we look again in verse 39. This is what he said. He's hanging there. He's hurling insults at Jesus. And he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. What do we know about this guy? There's, there's a bit of arrogance in what he's saying. There's a bit of pride in what he's saying. There's, there's no fear of God at all. If there's anything about God that he wants, I would say he's more like the individual who, who would say, okay, if you're, if you're Jesus, if, if you're this savior guy, then, then save me too. It's a, lot, it's a typical approach that, that I see a lot. It's, it, it's this idea, well, like, okay, well, well if, if that's my ticket to heaven, if there really is a heaven and a hell, and that's my ticket to heaven, sure, okay, I'll say the, I'll say the stupid prayer. I'll, I'll do what I have to do to get by. I'll, I'll go to the Bible class. I'll, I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll tick my box. Just, just don't ask anything more of me. Don't ask me for anything back. I would dare even say it's more of a, an entitled mindset. This thief isn't recognizing any of his guilt. He's not owning his sinfulness. He's not owning what anything, anything that he's done wrong. He doesn't fear God. He's unrepentant. The second criminal, as we continue on, the second criminal, though equally guilty, has a different perspective. In verse 40, it says this, that the thief was looking at this other one and said, look, man, since we're under the same sentence, and he owns, he owns his own guilt, his own shame, his own sin. He said, we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, he recognizes that he broke the law. In other words, he recognizes that we deserve this. But then he says, but this guy, but Jesus, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. 
If I were to summarize what, from what I see, this guy right here, I, I would say that, well, yes, he's guilty. The Romans have tried him, and they've even gone to the extra expense of, of saying, not only are we going to execute him, we're going to crucify him. He's guilty, no doubt about it. He, he deserves death. But he's broken. He's humbled. And he recognizes, I've done something wrong. And he knows he needs mercy. He knows he needs help. He's calling out to Jesus. I want to tell you why this is so important. We live in a world today where, where, like I said earlier, we compare ourselves to other people. Instead of comparing ourselves to what God says and God's law, what we do is, is we compare ourselves to the person next beside. Look, go ahead, elbow your neighbor right now and, and tell them, you make me feel good about myself. <laughs> we do. We have a tendency. We look in society and we say, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, at least, at least I'm not. Look, look how bad they are. Sure, I, 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 may, I may falter here, I may have a, but I'm a good person. We don't like to be called out. We live in a society where, where you can't point out somebody's mistake without them saying, what, what, don't, don't point at me, don't talk to me, look at you. Until we recognize that we have sinned, we'll never recognize our need for a Savior. But the moment we recognize that we've fallen short of God's standard, it's only at that moment that we become a candidate for grace. So many people, unfortunately, uh, so many people are, are more like thief number one. Don't want to own up to their own sinfulness. Don't want to own up to their own faults. But instead, it's, it's so much easier to point out somebody else. Yeah, but look at them. Look at what they're doing. I'm not that bad. But if you're more like thief number two, if you can recognize, man, I've messed up, I've done wrong, I do need forgiveness, then all of a sudden there's, there's a humility, there's a humbling that happens. Uh, there was a, a, an instance in my life, who will who, who admit that they've ever gotten a speeding ticket? Man, golly, a bunch of sinners in here. I, I, uh, I, I was... This was months after the fact. I, I received one of those red light camera tickets in the mail. Ah, like, is that even legal? I mean, come on. And, and so I got, the, I got the paper. I opened it up. I'm seeing how much I owe. I'm seeing, and they took pictures. There's picture number one, picture number two. And they said, what I did is, is I, I ran a red light. And I could tell in the picture that I was turning right. And it stated my speed. It stated the distance. I mean, it stated everything. And... I, I'm, I'm more of the scientific, and I quickly deduced from the two pictures that there was no way that I could have been going that speed had I been, if I was making a right-hand turn, there's no way I could have done that at that speed. So I took it upon myself to, because to, I knew I wasn't guilty. This was, this was crap. I mean, this is wrong. This isn't right. I mean, I was certain. And so I took it upon myself, I actually measured out the distance, I went out to my car, measured the distance of my car, and, and in measuring the distance of my car, I then saw the distance that was left from picture number one to picture number two. And in recognizing the distance, I could now calculate out the speed at which I was going, I mean, I had it all figured out. I'm ready to walk into the judge and say, nope, you're wrong, I'm not guilty. Right before I left to, to go to my, my sentencing, my I, uh, 
I noticed a little link on the bottom that says if you want to watch a video of said, of said occurrence, click here. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, watch that. Oh. <laughs> uh, sure enough, at the very speed that they said I was doing, I pulled a right-hand turn on a red light. Man. Look, when you're arrogant, when you're full of pride, God looks on at our lives and says, I, I can't help you. I, I think one of the greatest mistakes we often make is, is not understanding that God will give us what it is we're asking for. Numerous occasions I, I see throughout Scripture, the Israelites looked at God and said, we don't want a God, we want a king. And so God said, I, I'm sorry to hear it, but okay. When you're arrogant, when you're full of pride, God can't help you. But when you come to him repentant, when you say, I, I, I'm a sinner, God, I'm an idiot, I've messed up, I took the right-hand turn on a red and I shouldn't have. That's when you become a candidate for grace. And here's what's so amazing about grace, what's so amazing, this, here's this picture, Jesus hanging on the cross next to two guilty people. Both of these individuals we know were equally guilty. They both equally deserved death. Both men saw and heard the exact same thing. They saw and heard the exact same thing during those fateful hours. They had the same opportunity. They're both suffering severely. They both needed a savior and yet one, one pridefully missed it. And the other humbly didn't. It worries me. That this very same thing could happen today. There's going to be two people here, maybe, maybe even side by side in this room. We'll sing the same songs. We'll hear the same announcements. We'll, we'll hear the same message. One person is going to be more like thief number one. Stupid religion. I don't need that. I've seen what they did to, to me in the past. I, I've seen how they treat others. I've seen what Christians are about. I've seen what denominations are about. I, I know the wars in history. And, and they'll sit there and they'll repeat it all off. And I don't need any of that. And then right next to them is going to be a person who says, man, I, I've messed up. I need help. I need grace. Guys, the great news, the good news of the gospel is that the second one can call on Jesus, can be transformed in a way that's impossible to describe with, with earthly words. They both have the same opportunity, but only the one who's humbled will make it. And in that moment of making that decision, Scripture talks about how we're completely made new. We're forgiven, we're changed, we're, we're transformed, we're, we're completely healed from, from who we were. No longer am I going to get what I deserved, but now I'm going to get... What he's given me, new life. The second thief deserved death. He did, he deserved it. But Jesus gave him life. I want to continue with the power of the story in verses 42 and 43. The, the second thief rebuked the first one and then looks to Jesus and, and he says, and this, this is what the, 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 the second thief has to do in order to, in order to make things right. He, he, he comes before Jesus, he looks at him, he says, Oh, heavenly Father, I, I do beseech thee now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost 
to consider me, grant me forgiveness, this unrepentant sinner. <laughs> Look at what he simply said. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was it. It wasn't about the eloquence of his words. It, it wasn't about anything that he, he did other than the humility of his heart. Coming before God and saying, God, I know I deserve what I'm getting. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. No begging, nothing fancy. Remember me, Jesus. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus looks back at this guy. One moment of repentance, Jesus looks at him and says, Truly, I tell you today that you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I tell you today, boom, just like that, just one simple moment, just, just one quick instance, nothing, nothing fancy, nothing eloquent, nothing you know, uh, just completely profound. It was just simple, God, I need you. And the guy's eternity is changed forever. It had nothing to do with how good he was. His past and all the mistakes that, that had culminated in, in this ending played no role in it either. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that, that I think summarizes a lot of what we see in this story. And, and it basically Ephesians 2, these verses simply say that you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's by the grace of God. It's through believing that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. It's not by my works. You're not made right with God by being good enough. You're not made right by God by, by even going to church. You're not made right with God by, by giving money when the bucket passes. You're not made right with God because you helped, uh, you, you helped an elderly person across the street one time. You're not made right with God by being nice. By getting rid of all the bad stuff in your life. You're not made right with God by being religious. Scripture says you're made right with God by grace through faith. I think this story completely illustrates th this scripture perfectly. This thief, as we look at these thieves hanging on the cross, they, they couldn't do any good works. With their hands bound to the cross, their feet nailed, with, with their, their body decaying, dying in the baking sun. They couldn't do anything good, do anything worthy enough They couldn't go to church. They couldn't do good things. But the one thing that they could do was trust in the grace of Jesus. And suddenly this, when you realize this grace, when you realize what this story is telling us, it, it starts to bring other scriptures to life. I look at it, Psalms. Psalms 103 says this, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Another version says, just for those who trust him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. As the uh, band comes up and I begin to close here, guys, I, you've got to realize no longer is my life defined by what I deserved. But now, because of a simple faith in Christ, 
I deserve life. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve because I know, I know I deserved death. But because of Jesus, he gave me life. He doesn't repay us according to our own iniquities and, and he doesn't hold them against us. Will you remember when you, no, 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 no. Scripture even goes so far to say that, that he chooses not to remember our sins against us. Here's the news that you can't miss. We don't have eternal life because we're good. We have eternal life because God is good. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the entire scripture summed up. We're, we're not good. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. I don't care with what attitude, mentality, thought process that you came in this morning. With what your history says about you. It's simply about a faith in Christ. Because God is good. I deserved death, but because of Christ, I now deserve life. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's no sin you can commit that will ever make him love you less. It's just who he is. He's love. And because he loves us so much, Scripture tells us that he sent his one and only son for all, for anybody. Jesus, who, who didn't consider uh, being deity, being con uh, equal with God, something to brag about, but instead humbled himself, became nothing in the form of a servant. Became obedient even unto death, death on the cross. I, I can't even begin to, to wrap my mind around this. This is God, God in the flesh all of a sudden on a, on a cross. The maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who, who breathed my life into existence is, is now hanging on a cross. When he should have been wearing a crown of gold, Scripture tells us that they weaved a crown of thorns and they shoved it on his head, spitting on him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. When he should have been surrounded in praise and worship, he was surrounded by thieves, left humiliatingly on a cross to publicly shame. When he was innocent, he gave his life for us. For me, who I know, who I know was guilty, he gave his life for me, for you, who was guilty. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, God does not hold our sins against us. This same passage in Luke, it continues on, and it says, Then Jesus, taking on the sin of the world, taking upon my sin, taking on your sin, looked up to the heavens and said, It is finished. He looked up and he said, I did, Lord, what you sent me here to do. And then he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last breath. Scripture goes on to talk about that, that after this moment, when he did, as soon as he breathed his last breath, that, that the earth itself violently shook and, and the skies went dark. And, and the very centurion who was hired to stand there to stand guard over this thief, over this man who needed to be publicly humiliated, looked on, looked up and said, surely, surely this man was the son of God. When everyone else thought it was over, 
When everyone else thought it is done, it's finished, he's washed up, we're going we're gonna to toss him into a grave, we're going to seal him up, wrap him up and throw it away, this is done, we don't have to worry about this anymore. When the world thought it was over, heaven knew it was just getting started. Because three days later, three days later the stone was rolled away. And when they looked into the tomb, all of a sudden they realized he wasn't there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not there. Christ is alive. He's no longer entombed. Christ was not there. He was risen. And that one act, that one act alone defeated death. That one act alone defeated hell, defeated the grave, defeated my past and what I deserved. That one act trumped everything that I deserved. It trumped all and gave me life. We have all sinned. We all deserve death. I started with this passage, Romans 6.23, and it starts off again by saying, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first half. And sadly, I would say, you may have come in here today, and, and that's where a lot of Christians in the past, and they, they, they've left it at that. Oh, your sin, this is what you deserve. You're going to hell. But that's not where the Scripture ends. You see, that same Scripture continues on. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but... But there's something else that happens. For the wages of sin, yes, it's death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he lives, I can now live. Because he came out of that grave, because he rose, I now have life, eternal life everlasting. Because of Jesus, God does not treat my sins as I deserve. He doesn't judge me according to my own actions. But he sees the grace of Jesus through my life. Scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. No matter what you think you deserved. The old is gone. Everything becomes new. That's why we gather today. Today, millions upon millions, billions of people the world over gather today to celebrate an empty tomb. To celebrate and say, man, God, I love you. I thank you. You did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The tomb is empty. Your son is risen. And therefore, because of that moment, Lord God, I can worship, I can praise, I can give thanks. Because of that moment. If you'll bow your heads with me as I close church. God, I thank you. I thank you for the death and the resurrection of your son on Calvary's cross. And I pray today, Lord God, that along with people the world over, that, that we, Lord God, would be different. That we would realize the gift that's extended to us. The gift of God is eternal life, Lord God, through Jesus Christ. By the power, the love of your son. God, I thank you that I'm no longer who I was, that I'm, I'm no longer defined by what I deserve, that I'm different because of the cross, that I'm different because of Jesus. Lord God, I love you and I thank you. And I, was, I, just, I have to take this moment to say, Lord God, I thank you, that I give you everything, that I express my love, my worship unto you, Lord Jesus, you and you alone. As I continue to pray, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you will, please look. I believe that every one of us can find ourselves, recognize ourselves as, as one of these two thieves. But the good news here is you get to choose which one you want to be. 
You get to choose. Some of you, you're, you're going to recognize, man, man, I've done wrong. I've sinned. Whether it was just once or whether you say it was in more ways than I can ever even begin to, to describe, uh, but I recognize that I need forgiveness. I want to tell you this morning, it really is as simple as saying, God, I give it to you. Remember me. Jesus, I want you. Lord God, I need you. I give my life to you. And, and, and when you do, Scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive. When you do, it says you become a new creation. You become a new person immediately. Not that you have to work off the old, but that at that very instant, he says his spirit in you creates a new, a new life. The old is gone. Everything is new. You're now, what Scripture tells us, his masterpiece. You are now his ambassador. You're now the perfect work of Christ. No longer defined by your past, the hurts, the mistakes, the sin, whatever it was, but instead defined by the love on the cross. All you have to do is trust him. Trust him, a God who, who became one of us, died for us, was risen again. And when you recognize that you need that grace, when you recognize you need his forgiveness, when you recognize you need his mercy, he says he immediately gives you life. If that's you here this morning and you find yourself, you, you, you do, you, you've either, either you've, you've, you've said, Lord God, I trust you in the past, but you don't feel like you're currently living in that moment anymore, or, or whether you've never said anything, you've never trusted him, and because of past hurts and mistakes, in fact, you may have even just pushed him away. I mean, today, if you're more like thief number two, if you're willing to look inside your own life and consider Jesus, I'd love the opportunity to pray a simple prayer with you. A simple prayer. There's nothing that, that needs to be, you know, uh, forced. It's nothing that needs to be, you know, super eloquent. Or, I mean, all it is is just a, a realization of, God, I need you. If that's you here this morning, I want to pray with you again with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'd love to be able to pray for you. Across the room, across the room, across the room. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, keep your hands up for me, please. Keep your hands up. Let me pray with you. Hallelujah. Now let me have this. Let me have everybody in the room, please stand with me. Everybody in the room, if you'll stand with me, I want us all to pray together because this is a rejoicing moment. This is about the body of Christ. Christ talks about that when we, when we pray the prayer, no longer are we his, no longer are we loved by him, but we come together as the body of Christ. It's about unity. It's about looking around the room and realizing I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I can do this. If you will, across the room, pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Fill me with your spirit, Lord God. Thank you for new life. It's in your name I pray. Lord God, I thank you across this room, decisions made. Lord God, a time to rejoice, a time to give thanks, Father, because we know that we're no longer deserving of our past, Lord God, but instead we've been given life, we've been given hope, we've been given everlasting, eternal, Lord God, joyous reasons to celebrate. God, I thank you that the tomb is empty, that Christ is risen, that people here today are born into the family of God, and we praise you, we give you thanks, God. Join with me right now, give God thanks. Hallelujah, God. We thank you and we praise you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Listen here. If you did raise your hand this morning, if you raised your hand and you made that decision, you may have come with somebody. You may have come with a visitor, with somebody that you know. Man, they're a change agent. 
That individual is somebody different. They know who Christ is. I, I beg on you, come out, leave this room, talk to them more about what's going on. If you didn't come here with anybody or, or you don't have somebody to talk to, I'm going to be standing up here at the front. There's people around the room in these blue shirts that say CF Paris. Talk to them about the decision you've made. This is a time of rejoicing, a time to give thanks to God. God bless you all. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful Easter. Thank you, God, for what we deserve, life everlasting.